Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We love your word. We love that you speak to us. We love that you lead us. Thank you for the worship team this morning. Thank you so much for the OVV Grow team, uh, caring for the kids. We pray that the gospel would be clear to the children this morning, that they would learn, that they would grow in you. Thank you for the junior high and Jake and whoever's working with them there. Uh, we just ask your blessing, Lord, on all of us as we, as we gather, that we would be literally be your church, your called out ones, gathered together to hear something from you. Uh, this morning. Would you open our ears, open our hearts? Would you open my heart, Father, uh, to stray from my notes, if you want me to stray from my notes, to uh, hear you in the moment, uh, to hear the wisdom of your voice spoken through the word across the ages. I ask for physical strength in my body, Lord, as uh, to just fight this cold. I ask for healing for me and for anyone else that's struggling, Lord. We love you. We say that we need you. We want you to come. Be present, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. Has anybody been in a place in life where you've been struggling to find direction from God? Like just struggling to know which way to go. What's his will? Uh, do I do this thing? Do I do that thing? Do I attend this university? Do I attend that university? Uh, do I... Uh, take this job, do I not take this job? Uh, there's so many decisions and choices that we, we wrestle with uh, as people, but uh, so often we sort of miss the fact that in God, we have a God who guides us. We have a God who speaks to us. Uh, we, have, we have an advantage on the world around us because we have a God who, who speaks, and he's given us so many amazing tools to hear his voice. And so we want to dig a little bit uh, into that this morning, but I wanted to share a little story of uh, my wrestle uh, here to hear God's voice. Um, and, and just to let you know, like, this is just real deal for me as it is for, for you guys. Uh, this is, I should have put a picture up of it. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but in my backyard, or my dad's backyard, he has a, a fifth wheel, uh, an RV that, when did you purchase that, dad? Probably in, it's probably made in 19... 1900, probably made in 1900, yeah, Teresa says that, she's, she's got that, it was, it was probably made sometime a century or so ago, um, but uh, my, my wife Anna and I, we'd been, we were sort of in between things, we just finished school, uh, our, our Bible school, our degree uh, in the United States, and we'd moved up to, uh, back to Ontario, uh, we had a job offer waiting for us at Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, which is now Catch the Fire in Toronto, uh, later became the youth pastor there, but uh, my experience of, of taking that job and, and getting to that place uh, was, was a real wrestle in terms of hearing the voice of God, a real wrestle in terms of decision making. So we'd moved up, we'd had this job offer waiting for us, and we could have moved directly to Toronto, but I felt like, ah oh, man, this job is going to be crazy, this is a crazy church, uh, there's good things going on here, but this thing is either going to hugely bless me and change my life, or it's absolutely going to smoke me. Uh, and 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 the reality is it did both um, in terms of the the end of our story. But but the wrestling with whether to take that was really really huge for us. Um, for me in particular, Anna was actually a little bit more decided than I was. But at the time we moved up from uh, from New York State and moved into my dad's RV that was sitting in the front 
of his yard, and uh, I took a job working construction. We're doing renovations in the cheeriest place of all, a funeral home. And because that was busy during the day, I was working shifts, so we were doing renos on this funeral home uh, overnight. And I was coming home tired in the morning, and Anna was, uh, you know, hanging out with my mom in, in their house while, you know, I was sleeping and trying to recover and ready to go to work at 6 the next day. You know, the shift work deal isn't, isn't real fun, but it was a, really a whole summer of just of just wrestling, of, of, of angst, of, of frustration, like being torn between what felt like maybe was the word of God to go to Toronto and my desire to be uh, in a safe place and in a place that I thought would be um, a little bit healthier, a place that I thought would be easier, uh, being just staying away from ministry and doing construction and, and whatever, looking for another ministry job that might have been in a less kooky church. Um, and uh, in the end... Uh, for us, that that process of trying to make that decision came down to uh, the alignment of really a whole pile of different things in terms of hearing from the Lord. Uh, in the end, when we decided that we, we were going to make our decision and go down to Toronto, it wasn't like I really, really wanted God to come and speak to me with like a prophetic word that would be like, Thou shalt go. I see you in the big smoke. You know, like I see a picture of the CN Tower, a great vision from God of the CN Tower or something like that. Uh, but what it came down to was a sense that, man, I can fulfill uh, the word of God in that place. I can preach the gospel in that place. I can do what God says. It came down to conversations with people that loved us, that knew us, that said, you know what, we think this would be a good place for you to grow, as, as, even though it might be hard. Uh, it came down to a sense that somewhere in me I had this uh, desire for adventure, that, that I wanted to try it, that was sort of slightly overcoming my fear. It came down to sort of that whole spectrum of gifts and things and, and talents and abilities and ways we have of, of hearing God that, that came together. And so for most of us, I think that challenge of hearing the voice of God, of hearing from the direction from God, uh, comes with receiving a spectrum of gifts, a, a, a spectrum of uh, abilities and gifts and ways that we have of hearing from God. And I just want to begin to unpack that a little bit for us this morning. But first I want to just show this little video, which I think is, a, is appropriate to our talk. Some of you have seen this on social media. How many of you have seen this already? Enjoy, enjoy this. This is just Christians hearing from God. Oops, okay. You got audio there? One of my personal favorites. For sure, though. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you got saved, you got eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and access to a whole long list of ways to say no that'll make you sound like way more spiritual of a person than you actually are. I don't think it's God's will. It's just not his timing. I'm feeling led in a different direction. Let me talk to my pastor about that. It's a closed door. I'm waiting on the Lord right now. I just don't feel peace about it right now. God has a different assignment for me. I just didn't feel prompted. I just don't feel like that's something 
that Jesus would do. But I just feel like I'm not in that season anymore. Can you help me move this weekend? But normally I would, but I just feel like God is just telling me to rest right now. I just got a sense that it didn't line up. Right now I'm in a season of new wineskins. What does that even mean? I just feel like right now I'm in a season of creating margin and I just don't have the bandwidth. Are you even speaking English right now? I was just asking if you wanted to get a pizza. Prompting. How many times have I told you about the prompting? I'm not feeling the prompting. I don't know. I'm just not really feeling the spirits leading on this one. Mm, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me lay out a fleece on that one. <laughs> okay, I don't think anyone says that. And of course, everybody's all-time favorite, let me pray about it. All I'm saying is when it comes to Christian ways of saying no, just say no. So, I mean, I mean, woven into that talk are 17 different sort of ways in which we, we tend to claim and hear from God and, and all that. And John Christ, of course, is, uh, is one of the best Christian brothers I know who's really good at making fun of Christian brothers I know, uh, myself included. And, uh, and so it's just, uh, it's just really, really good. Uh, so when we look at that uh, question of decision-making and how we determine uh, direction from God, we have kind of a spectrum of different things that we look at. And I'm just going to broken them down into five, and you can break them down in all kinds of different ways. But uh, the ways that God speaks to us, uh, if you look like straight up the middle there, is, you know, biblical, theological. Like God leads us through his scriptures, right? He speaks to us through the Bible. He he uh, gives us his law. He, he puts that on our hearts. He, uh, he tells us, like, gives us a moral foundation for decision-making. Uh, he lets us know pretty clearly some decisions that we could make that probably wouldn't be in accordance with his will, simply based on his likes and dislikes that are revealed in the scriptures. This is sin, uh, that is not. So we, we have that sort of biblical, theological piece. Uh, in, speaking of theology, we have this ability to know the character and person of God. So if we know that Jesus theologically is good, is kind, is gentle, then we, as we follow him, would want to be good and kind and gentle. So we put all of those things together, we have that piece. Uh, sometimes we feel like we're led by a desire to be strategic and reasonable, and hey, this just makes sense. And that's a piece of the picture for us. Sometimes we want to be led by passion, like, hey, it's okay for me to do the thing that, that I have a passion to do. Uh, and God said, you know, God speaks, and we'll, we'll unpack this in a little more detail in a few moments later, but, you know, he will give you the desires of your heart, right? There's, there's a way in which that works as a way that God leads us. Uh, there's uh, hearing and receiving counsel from others. And way over here, there's, there's the prophetic. There's hearing that word from God. Uh, this is the way, walk in it, go that way, right? And our, our problem, our challenge as believers is that um, we tend to, at different times, emphasize one of them over the other, right? And so if we're hearing something prophetic and we're like, okay, I should do that, but my friends are saying, who really love me and care about me, are saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't go that direction. How do you wrestle that down? How do you figure out what the right way to go is? We've got a whole spectrum of ways of hearing from God. And so uh, what I really want to propose to us is this idea that hearing the voice of God and really knowing which way he wants us to go actually looks a little bit more like this. It looks a little bit more like having all of those things, all of those gifts, all of those incredible ways of hearing from God uh, in alignment. And so I just want to unpack them one by one and just talk maybe a little bit about some of the error and, uh, and challenges we have if we lose sight of the whole picture. Uh, so let's just look at this biblical theological piece. Uh, Psalm 119, 104 to 106 reads this. Through your precepts 
I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. That word precepts is your principles, uh, the, the understanding of who you are, the general ideas that seem consistent with the character and person of God that we get from his word. Therefore, I hate every false way, every way that doesn't seem like what God seems like. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is just a note uh, to the scriptures. Uh, we see uh, later in the New Testament, though, just the weight of the importance of scriptures in the life of people. Uh, scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be uh, fully equipped to, to do his good works, right? So we have that sense of, of the word is so critical to us. I have sworn and confined, as confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. And what we see in that, that, that little section of Psalm 119 put together is that we have the principles that we draw from Scripture, that sense of who God is. Uh, we have his word as a light to our path. It, uh, when we're bathed in his word, when we're reading his word, when we're, we're soaked in the Scriptures, everything around us is, is kind of illuminated. Oftentimes when people are struggling with where to go, uh, I'll ask, they might have a good sense of prophetic word, they might have a good sense of counsel, they might have a good sense of all of these other things operating in, in, in their lives, but they still feel uncertain. They're still sort of bound up in a kind of uh, uh, decision-making paralysis, and I'll just ask, well, have you just been reading in large quantities the scriptures? Like, like just read the Psalms front to back. Read Proverbs front to back. And just bathe yourselves in the scriptures and just see that uh, the confusion will just begin to clear up. Because being bathed in the word of God is just like having like a flashlight over our heads that just lights up that path for us. Uh, we, we need those general principles to know uh, the general way to go. But the problem is if you're just led, if, if, you're, if your only source is just your Bible knowledge to make your decisions... You know, reading the Bible isn't going to tell you which university to attend, right? It's, 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 it's placed in culture in a time where there just simply isn't that specific information that will tell you whether or not to take a certain job. It won't tell you the answer to uh, 100 plus 100, you know, it just, won't, it just won't tell you that specific stuff. So we need a spectrum of things through which to hear the voice of God. And the other tendency is that if we are just trying to rely on the scriptures, our decision-making processes end up being really legalistic, don't they? They end up having us uh, caught in a, in a narrow way that is just based on the scriptures as rules of do's and don'ts. And it's really, really hard to move as a visionary person, to move as a prophetic person, to move as a person who's going to advance the kingdom of God around them, that if you're caught, if you're caught in a legalistic mindset, caught in a fear of making mistakes, right? So uh, we add to it all of these other pieces. So we add to that sense of the biblical, the light on our path, the sense of God shining down on us, um, this idea of the wisdom and the strategic. Right? Uh, another way of, of saying that is, is the, the logic, the rational. And if you, if you were at home church last week, you would have heard me share a little bit of this. Uh, just I'm going to unpack a few moments in Paul's journey. Uh, when Paul was out there doing missionary journeys, he was speaking in churches, he was planting churches, he was out there all over the place uh, doing the God stuff. 
And, uh, and at one point in his journey, he decided, you know what, I've got to get back to Jerusalem. And then I've ultimately got to get back to Rome. And somehow in his heart, and we just don't have any idea what that mechanism of Paul uh, making that decision was like, but he decided to go from, from basically from Greece and track his way back to Jerusalem, uh, going past Asia on the way. And it says this uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Acacia. He says, after I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Paul just decided. So he made a strategic plan and decided that ultimately he had to get to Jerusalem. Uh, when we get a little bit further, I, I didn't put the reference there, but it's in Acts 20. Uh, it says, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending much time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Paul wanted to get to Jerusalem at a feast time when there would be a ton of believers from all over the Roman world in Jerusalem at the same time. Paul was strategically trying to land in Jerusalem uh, to do some networking, right? He was there to do networking. He was there to connect with other believers and, and, and help them out in, in that place. So he decided to sail past Ephesus, avoid spending much time in the province of Asia. He's hurried to reach Jerusalem. And then when they landed uh, closer to Jerusalem, closer to, to Israel, he landed in a place called Tyre. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. And for some reason, we don't know what they had through the Spirit or what they were saying, but it says this. It says, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? So, prophetically, through the Spirit, they somehow encouraged the Apostle Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But somehow, the decision that he'd made and the strategic plan trumped that prophetic input that he'd received through the Spirit, through the brothers in Tyre. How weird is that? Right? And if you go on a little bit further into Acts chapter 21, and I didn't put the references in here, but they arrive at another place, and ultimately uh, another prophetic voice comes to Paul and, and says, it's a man who, who uh, had four prophetic daughters, and he came to Paul and prophetically tied him up with his belt tied up Paul's hands and basically said, uh, just in the way that you've been tied up here, you will be bound in Jerusalem and, and brought before the magistrates. Right? And then it says, and Paul went on to Jerusalem. So there's a way in which that, that prophetic piece wasn't the complete picture for Paul. It was a part of what he understood. Uh, it talks in the scriptures about the prophetic being for us, we'll, we'll unpack this in a couple of moments, uh, being an encouragement and, and an edification, uh, something that added to Paul's journey so that maybe he, when he got to Jerusalem, he was like, okay, now I know this is going to happen. I'll have the comfort of being able to anticipate uh, the struggle that I'm going to go through in that place. But, but what the, the expectations that they added to the prophetic word that was spoken to Paul they thought, we heard this from God that Paul is supposed to be bound. So therefore, that means Paul ought not to go. Paul thought, I'm going to be bound there. Therefore, I ought to still go. So the sense of decision, the sense of the strategic, the sense of what God has spoken to Paul uh, led him forward. Uh, what, whatever that spectrum of things that Paul had heard led him to go on 
uh, that one piece of the prophetic wasn't enough for him to make the decision. And that can be just, uh, just our, our struggle as well. If, if our only understanding is the, uh, the reason, the wisdom, and the strategic on its own, then we can uh, be inflexible too, right? That's the downside of it, right? We can be uh, self-glorifying in it. We can just be so excited, and pastors are the worst for this. We can be so excited about our strategic plan and our idea of what God wants us to do that we sometimes can't hear prophetic input in a positive way that might encourage us or might shift our direction a little bit, right? We have to consider the whole thing, just the wisdom, the strategic, the rational isn't enough. Somehow Paul was able to take the whole thing. Uh, This next piece, counsel, is so important. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Where there's no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Uh, If you look ahead to Acts 15, Paul came to the people in Jerusalem, to the council in Jerusalem, and he said, hey, guys, like, like, how are we going to make this decision? Like, we, we want to go out to the Gentiles, we want to preach to them, but other people are going out and preaching to the Gentiles, and they're laying down all of these rules and laws on them, and the Gentiles can't, can't take it. They're not hearing the gospel uh, through uh, the amount of rules we want to put on them. So, so how do we deal with this? What are we going to do? And so somehow, we don't know a lot about what happened in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, but somehow they gathered together in that space, uh, they must have prayed, we can only assume. Uh, just, just another note, all of these disciples, all of these believers had like the best Bible school, uh, Sunday school education that you can imagine. It's 10 times what we do here in North America. Right? All of these guys, as young Jewish believers, grew up just soaked and permeated in the Word, memorizing vast amounts of Scripture. So they brought that biblical knowledge into the council of Jerusalem. Uh, they brought the prophetic into that council in Jerusalem. They prayed in the council of Jerusalem. Uh, they spoke with one another. Uh, they thought strategically. I think they put all of those discernment things all in one place in that space. And it came out in Acts chapter 15, verse 20 out. 28, they released a letter that said, it seemed good to us, or sorry, good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, and that is don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat the blood of uh, strangled animals, and, and avoid sexual immorality. Let's simplify the rules for the Gentile believers. Right? Let's just simplify it. Uh, let's do it. But it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so it, that council in Jerusalem took all of the wisdom, all of that stuff, all of the gifts that they had, and they brought them together uh, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and came up with something together. They used all of their faculties to arrive at something that was absolutely a critical piece that released the church to go in the world in an incredible way where the gospel would have been stopped if they hadn't made that decision in that place. God brought them forward in an incredible way. But if you are just led by the counsel of others, you've got confusion. Right? If you're just led by, by the counsel of others, uh, you've got confusion. I remember uh, Anne and I were part of a leadership community for Vineyard Canada uh, for a little while, and... Um, we had uh, been handed a leadership structure that was like a completely flat leadership structure where we had four 
couples from across the country, a team without a leader that was to decide direction uh, for Vineyard in Canada. How many of you know that was a nightmare? And I promise you all the other four couples will agree with me, that was a nightmare structure that we, hand, that we were handed. Uh, a leaderless team of, of eight people in a room trying to decide uh, direction. Um, one of the people I remember just getting excited about this sort of sense of, of co-decision making that we had that, that was sort of unled. In a moment of excitement, they, they expressed this. They sort of said, um, you know, it, it, what we are is a community of mutual discernment. And I'm like, we're a community of mutual disagreement. <laughs> you know, we are a community of mutual insanity because we couldn't make decisions uh, about things together. Uh, just being led by the counsel of others, we were, con we were so confused. And the Lord actually gave me a vision to speak into that moment. And what I saw was a bunch of ships on the sea going through the fog trying to find their direction. And then this is, this is my prophetic gift activated to unlock uh, a sense of a council that was, that was deadlocked all the time. Um, and, and the Lord gave me this vision of a bunch of ships trying to navigate across the sea. And what I could see was the captains of the ships up in the bow of the ship. And they were just yelling at each other across the water. Which way should we go? Which way should we go? And of course, ships just can't navigate that way. You, you can't navigate by the sounds of the captain's voices yelling back and forth across the water. It's just chaos and confusion. How does a ship navigate? A ship navigates by the stars, something that is fixed in space, absolutely will not move. That's the biblical. That's the theological. Uh, ships have a map. They have the wisdom and counsel of people who have gone before. Charts to say where the reefs are. Uh, distances and soundings to know how deep the water is. They have reason and strategy. And they, they have that whole picture as a captain navigates his way across the sea. But simply having the counsel of others just talking to us without that outside voice of the scriptures and the voice of the wisdom of God is just going to lead to confusion. And so if you're in a place of confusion and everybody's telling you what to do, you need to bring in your other faculties and hear from the Father. I receive a vision from God. Let him speak to you. You need to dig into the scriptures. You need to dig in theologically, whatever it takes. You need all of your faculties to make decisions uh, before God. Uh, and and I, I made a nod to the prophetic in the last one. Um, listen, my sheep... Listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is the deal with Christianity, right? We are able to hear the voice of the Father speaking to us. We, we're sheep. We know his voice. Jesus is going to speak to us. He's going to speak to us through the prophetic. He's going to speak to us through his word. And, and as we, we learn that, it, it's, there's a growing familiarity of the voice of God. And the way we know that voice of God is, is him speaking is we have all of these other things to confirm it. And the more and more we have other things confirming uh, the voice of God speaking in our ears, uh, the more and more confident we can be that we're hearing him speak to us and hearing him lead us. Um, just pointing to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. 
uh, just the context is he's talking about tongues and he's sort of elevating prophecy about tongues. That's what happens in the dot, dot, dot there. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Right? So these gifts are something that Paul was anticipating would be active in the life of the church, something to eagerly desire. We've talked about this before. But notice these words, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. So the prophetic uh, gives us strength, gives us confidence, gives us a confirmation that the decisions that we're making can be from him. Uh, the, the prophetic comes with encouragement. The prophetic comes with comfort. But, but what's strange here, uh, even when he says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church, that sense of encouragement is there. But, but did you notice that it doesn't say the one who prophesies directs the church? So the weight of prophecy uh, comes into the body and is an absolute necessity, an absolute necessary part of our, our way of hearing from God, but it's not the primary driver for our church. And we often hear churches as being called, this is a prophetic church. We are prophetically driven. And we just want to say, like, we love the prophetic and we welcome it as something that edifies us and encourages us and flows through it. It's, it's something that we believe is a huge part of what we do, but it is one of the parts by which we receive guidance and direction and vision from God. We have so many. We have these amazing tools. So if you're just led um, by the prophetic, uh, that's when you see so often a spirit of independence, a spirit of, hey, this is what I've heard. This is the way to go. This is the way we're going, and and we're going there whether you like it or not. And so often you have competing prophetic words. You might have somebody who's who's working also in a spirit of independence that says, no, no, we should go this way. And we've seen just all kinds of chaos in the church around this, right? So if if the prophetic is working in a spirit of independence and not a spirit of edification, uh, chaos comes. And, and of course, secondly, uh, the, the prophetic is, is essentially subjective, isn't it? The prophetic is something that uh, uh, is something that only I can testify to. This is what I heard in my head. This is what I feel like I heard, and I want to share that with you. But if, if there aren't other people to confirm it and other people to weigh it and other people to judge it, it, it's not something that we're meant to trust as a primary source of guidance, right? We need that sense of community. We need that sense of counsel. We need the whole deal. So all of those things uh, work together. And then there's this fifth thing, uh, passion. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes God just asks us, what do you want? But here's the little kicker in that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not delight yourself in yourself, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? It's delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in him. So if you're delighted by him, he'll give you him. Right? Which is awesome. He, 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 he wants relationship. He, he creates a loop there where the more passionate we are about him and who he is, 
uh, the more clear uh, it is that we can be led by our desires because we're always following after him. Uh, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Uh, oh, man, I put the wrong quote in there. We're just going to go zipping on here. But if you are just led by passion, corruption, and sin are what can follow, right? Then we know the story of David, right? This incredible prophetic man, right? This incredible writer of the Psalms. Incredible heart, incredible wisdom, calling us to seek after God, Right? But what happened when he saw Bathsheba and desired her and let that sense of his desire override his other faculties? He ultimately ended up murdering Uriah the Hittite to achieve his desire. So we have all of these things as things that lead us, all of these things that are, that are part of our process of, of following God. And so we put it all together like this. Um, and this is Jesus in John chapter 15. You are my friends if you do what I, and I put in brackets the word them, I'll explain that in a second. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. <coughs> For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You are my friends if I do what I them command. Uh, what we have to sort of unpack there in terms of the grammar, because it, it, the, the, fra the little paragraph doesn't really make a lot of sense by itself. You are my friend if you do what I command, but I no longer call you servants. Well, that command to do something is that, na is that nature of a servant relationship. It's a nature of a slave relationship. What Jesus is saying is, if you are wired to do what I command, if you naturally, out of who you are, if you are a doer of what I command is really what the... The Greek says there, if you are by nature a doer of what I command to them, then you are my friend. Right? So he commands uh, things to everybody. He, he'll speak that way. He speaks to culture that way. Uh, he speaks to the world that way with the, the creative, powerful voice of the Father. But to you, as a, as a child, he wants his nature to be in you. So that you're not following him as a command, you're following him out of who he has made you to be, out of who he's transformed you to be. And that's what he's saying about his disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But you do know your master's business. You know me. You have relationship with me. So we can trust your desire, your heart, your faculties, your knowledge of the scriptures to be part of this process. He's calling us to something that's uh, relational. He's calling us to something that is, is a friendship, is not um, the, the role of a slave, the, the role of a son, and not the role of a servant. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Like, you've got it. If you're using all of your faculties, if you're using all of these gifts, you have what you need to make good decisions and to follow me. You've got it. Um, again, we see looking ahead to Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Right? Fear of making mistakes, fear of doing the wrong thing. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. 
Isn't that kind of an amazing thing that we have a sense of our spirit testifying alongside with him? And this is what he hints at when he gets a little bit further on. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we become co-heirs with him, right? And so what does that mean, to be a co-heir with Christ? Like, how crazy is that? We have the Father in heaven, but, but we have something of shared leadership with Jesus. Do you, do you get that? That you're not just slaves of Jesus? That there's some crazy mystery in which you have co-leadership with him? that he's let you uh, into his circle of decision-making. That there's co-understanding, uh, there's, there's cooperative learning, there's cooperative uh, growth that happens when you're that close to Jesus, that being there grows you into a person, teaches you to become someone uh, who gets to be a part of the decision-making process with him about your life. I know that, like for us, we so want it to be super, super simple, don't we? We so want to be able to just, how many of you have ever said, God, I mean, I said this back in the day when there were still fax machines, but God, could you just fax me my, my orders every morning? I would just love it if you could just email me or tweet me or Send me a text and just let me know exactly what I'm supposed to do today. How many of you would just love that? Wouldn't that be great? But that doesn't sound like relationship, does it? God's not as interested in the product of us making good decisions and not making mistakes. He's very, very interested in the journey of making decisions and growing with him. He's very, very interested in this process of us being trained and equipped to ultimately uh, be what he talks about when he talks about the end times, the new heavens and the new earth coming, and us ruling with him. We don't learn to rule with him in the new heaven and the new earth if all we know how to do is to receive a text and do that. So he's given us these incredible gifts, incredible gifts. Robert. Yeah, um, so there's a, the, the part of the deal is that, that he gives us leadership, right? He gives us this co-ownership, and part of that ownership is in the burden of leadership of the world, right? That doesn't sound like the nice part, right? Because we so often, we want to, we want to like distance ourselves from, from having made, uh, having any responsibility for the decisions that we make, Right? But what he's calling us to is a, is a way of entering into the life of the world in the same way that he did uh, and suffered for it. So this co-leadership of ours is a sacrificial leadership, just the same as his leadership is. And that's the deal that we sort of don't like about co-ownership. We would like to receive the text and be able to be free to do whatever it is that we're called to do in a way that the world doesn't affect us at all. But there's a co-ownership with him that means that we... Uh, we are in the yoke with him. His yoke may be easy, his burden may be light, but we're still in the yoke with him. We're not in the yoke by ourselves with him driving us, 
but we're in the yoke with him and we feel the weight that he feels. We feel the weight of people's pain that he feels. And we enter into their lives and into their situations and we love them and we care for them sacrificially the same way that he did. And if you look up, even, even if you look at Paul, if you look at suffering in Paul, that's exactly the kind of leadership that he modeled. Uh, he was just out there. He was following Jesus. He was making his plan. He was doing his stuff. And he was getting shipwrecked and beaten. <laughs> right? Didn't Paul have an awesome, safe journey of following Jesus? Wasn't Paul's journey of Jesus, like, super, super fun? Right? But as a co-heir with Christ, a co-author with Christ, he was, he, Christianity is not safe. Let me abuse you of that notion. Christianity is not safe. But it is relationship with him. We go wherever he goes. James. Yeah, he's interested in our position in relationship with him more than he's interested in this sort of finished, perfect product, right? He's interested in this crazy journey where we get to do this thing with him. And so there's so much uh, beauty in that. I'm going to just, for the sake of time, I'm not going to unpack this, but uh, in, in Psalm uh, 23, we see uh, what this sort of leadership of Jesus looks like. Because uh, if you read Psalm 23 through the lens of, of Jesus, what you see is a shepherd who uh, suffers with the sheep, a shepherd who cares for the sheep, a shepherd who leads the sheep in beautiful ways, uh, but a shepherd who is invested. And that's what Jesus is with us. He's, he's not leading us from a distance by a text He's not leading us from a distance by just the scriptures. He's not leading us from a distance by just the counsel of others. He's not leading us from a distance by just purely our desires. He's leading us in a process and in a spectrum of ways of hearing him that only come together in relationship with him in the center. It all comes clear when he's brought to the middle. And that's how we go forward. Let's, uh, let's take a second and pray. Let's stand. Lord, there's a crazy mystery in this thing of co-ownership with you. Uh, this message of us being sons and not slaves, friends and not servants, this way that you want to grow us up into relationship with you that uh, makes us co-owners, co-creators, co-heirs with you. We'd like very much sometimes to distance ourselves from from that and to have it just be super easy. But yeah, you want it to be about you and about closeness to you. The easy yoke is the yoke that has you in it with us. We ask that you would give us the courage to uh, fill the gaps, Lord, 
where we lack uh, the wisdom of the scriptures, would you just give us a passion to learn? If we lack counsel, would you just, just give us the courage to ask friends? If we're missing the prophetic piece, would you give us the courage uh, to seek you, to hear your voice in the specifics even, Lord? If we're so afraid of our passions and they're so corrupt, would you teach us to have your desires so that we can uh, follow the desires of your heart and you would give us then the desires of ours? Whatever the missing pieces are for each one of us, Lord, would you identify them and would you strengthen us in them? You've blessed us with so many amazing tools. Would you just give us the courage to use them all? And at the very center, Lord, would you be there speaking to us, leading us, helping us weave the picture together? We love you, Lord. We give you our lives. We, we just want to receive the richness of everything you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. Bless you.